So, speaking of uh, food and restaurants, Nick. Love food, love restaurants. Richmond's got a bunch. Yes. So, are we are we going to do this uh, food truck experience at um, South by our exhibit, our communication to the world? The food is knowledge, and an RVA's tech scene and what we bring to the world. So, rather than be stationed in one location at South by, we can't station around. us. Correct. We're bringing RVA to Austin. That's right. Welcome everyone to Tech by Design, where the Richmond Technology Council takes you to the edge for trending tech and innovation here in Richmond, Virginia. I'm Nick Surface, CEO of RVA Tech, along with Alex Satanias, CEO of Shaco. Come join us. Um, okay, so so we're going to get onto this. But hey, really quick, I saw this last week. Um, I didn't even know this was happening, but um, Governor Yunkin signs a new executive order um, on artificial intelligence. Do you have a chance to read that? Yeah, I did. And... You know, this is in line with um, what we're seeing among policymakers uh, throughout the Commonwealth, certainly, you know, where we're more attuned, but also uh, across the country. I think policymakers are trying to get ahead of, you know, what is the the burgeoning tech uh, hot topic, so to speak. And um, I think, you know, there's a little bit of reflection upon, you know, if you look way back, just the Internet and how quickly it kind of expanded, but also social media and um, the pros and cons of that and, and how it started to integrate into everyone's lives much more quickly than we expected. And I think government was maybe a laggard in the past in terms of um, uh, both how it implemented that tech into its own processes, but also how it regulated and, you know, um, adjusted its policies for, for how that tech was affecting the world around it. And I think to policymakers' credit, and Yunkin's here as well, um, you know, they're trying to get out ahead of the new technology and trying to better understand and make it a priority to understand um, how the technology could advance government in a positive way, but also, um, you know, if there's any ways that we need to, you know, quickly make sure it doesn't go beyond, um, you know, certain guidelines and we can regulate it appropriately, not overly so, but um, responsibly. So I think, again, it's a it's a proactive stance, uh, which you got to love from a policymaker, whether, you know, you like what, you know, the politics of it all. Um and uh, but we're seeing it across the board. It's not just Yunkin. Uh, we're seeing it from both senators' offices. We're seeing it from a lot of legislators at the General Assembly. All eyes are on AI, and that's a good thing. Sometimes policymakers tend to grab headlines, mm-hmm. and you know, lately that headline has been "Big Tech is Bad." Yeah. Um, and this is a, an example where there's an, an actual practical application of tech and policymakers are trying to wrap their heads around it and saying, okay, how can we use this for better government? How can we use this uh, or regulate this appropriately? So yeah, so I, I applaud not just Youngkin, but any of the policymakers that are taking you know proactive stances on AI or, or any tech really. Yeah, I think if I read this article correctly or if I understand what's what's going on here, right? They're using AI to make the services the state delivers more efficient and effective. Where he came out with that 600,000, I don't know. There, there there has to be some budget behind it, but I'm looking forward to it because one of the things that you and I've spoken about and and I've heard across um the delivery of services from the state is is less than ideal. So I am hoping that they could supplement that user experience, that belief with AI and, and actually make the experience a lot better. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that coming back to RVA tech by design, right? I hope that they design the experience as effectively as they use technology. Um, that's, that's what I'm hoping for. But to your point, this is no longer about politics, right? This is, this is literally like, let's stay ahead in, of this curve. 
Yep, absolutely. You know, it brings me to a presentation I saw earlier this week. I went to a breakfast put on by ACG, and it was Ankit Mathur, who is um, one of the directors for the U.S. Digital Agency. Yeah. And I didn't know much about the U.S. Digital Agency. And frankly, before Ankit took his post, um, he's a Richmond guy, uh, I don't think I had even heard of the U.S. Digital Agency. What I learned earlier this week is it's what you're kind of saying here is that it's a arm of government intended to help create better UI, UX and systems and processes for anything that government does. And I think that's what a lot of us struggle when we engage with government is we go to a website that we, we perceive as antiquated or we're filling in more process and procedure than we feel like we need for a certain you know, service that we're looking for. And so bringing government up to speed with where everybody else is in the commercial world, at least in terms of UI, UX, is a great thing. And so, uh, you know, numbers wise, I don't know who knows how the budget works and what those dollars are really intended for. But again, it's proactive attempts at bettering government's um, integration of tech. So you got to applaud it. That's awesome. So, so um want to want to take a little bit of a turn here right 90 degree turn yep. or um sharp left whatever you want to call yeah, it definitely straight lines straight lines straight lines yes speaking of straight lines and building cool experiences let's let's get back to your roots architecture let's do it um, so architecture yeah so we, we talked about um the the benefit or the power of ai in architecture and the 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 art of building what are you excited to see in that space yeah you know, there's a whole bunch of different directions here that it's going, and uh, you know, we'll get into some of the details. But what I find interesting is that when I look back, uh, so I started architecture, gosh, early 2000s. So you know, that's kind of where my journey began, um, and I've seen some different evolutions of it and studied some different evolutions of it. That's kind of what you do in school is you you learn the processes that have been in place and what how things used to be and how things are now. And to be honest, the, the way that AI is integrating into design seems to be just the next natural evolution of, of architecture and design. It's, it's very consistent with some of the uh, previous iterations and evolutions, whether you look at hand-drawn to computer, from computer to 3D, from 3D to BIM, which is called building information modeling, which is essentially a database, to now AI. But at the end of the day, there's still a human touch and a human element on both sides, both the early phases and the, the late phases and everything in between. So I want to get into it here, but to be honest, exciting, fascinating, but yet at the same time, feels like a natural next step and, and not very different from the previous steps that architecture has made over the course of the of its of its history. So just just a little level setting, right? So we um we talked about this last week, but one of the things that, that I found uh, very interesting that Lauren said is when AI helps her with copy and content, most of the time you could actually tell it was AI and not a person. It's not authentic. It's it's harder to connect with, and it's it's got some some ways to go. It helps, but it's it's still it's still some some ways to go. How can one tell good architecture from from bad? I, I get the the whole eye of the beholder stuff, but before we go into some of like how AI helps, like. Yeah. What's, what's, well, what do you get taught in school or, or at work? Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, architecture in school and architecture in reality are two very different things, which is why one of the interesting, interesting things about architecture is you'll meet a lot of folks who have architecture degrees that didn't necessarily go into practice. In my case, I actually went into practice, but just for a little bit and quickly took a turn into you know this association world. So you'll find a lot of us out there that you know didn't spend a whole our entire careers in architecture. We found other things. Things. And that's that's because school itself teaches you about design thinking, 
in terms of um, how to solve problems creatively, how to think beyond the box, but yet in a structured way, in an organizational way, um, how to look for central organizing themes, how to think critically, um, how to blend uh, math and art equally. And there are opportunities in school to be really in, in, insanely creative, think aspirationally, but there's not a lot of business in school. That element of it isn't something that's covered well. So when you get out, you know, you find the reality that at the end of the day, architects are consultants, and it's a consulting business. You are advising a client on how to get a building built, and you are coordinating a variety of um, subcontractors and contractors and other teammates and, and colleagues and, and potentially a committee that's your client. And so there's a lot of personalities at play. So there's psychology, there's business, there's... Um, uh, consensus building, diplomacy, a whole bunch of other things. And a lot of people, I think, you know, it's not exactly what they intended or thought that they were getting. And so, um, you know, uh, they go separate ways from the profession. So the profession has a lot of different angles. And, um, you know, there's the design side, but there's the reality of it. And so when you ask the question, what is good architecture? Well, depends what you're doing. What is the goal that the client set out to, to do? Is it um, to build something that's commercial and going to turn a profit, in which case you're value engineering, you're building a box, you're getting people in and out? Or is it something more aesthetic where um, you know the there's value in the aesthetic of the structure? Churches are a great example of that. Uh, museums are a great example of that. Schools are a blend. You have a lot of people going in and out but that need to be functional. But at the same time, sometimes uh, educational architecture can be attractive for enrollment and teachers and faculty. So um, it's all about what the point of the, uh, the building is. Oh my gosh, so many different directions. So have you heard of La Sagrada Familia? Um, I've been to La, La Sagrada Familia, yes. Uh, I think, was it still under construction when I was there? I was there in 1990. Eight. I believe it is still under construction. It's still under construction now. Okay, well then, yeah, then it was in 98 as well. Uh, yeah, great example of something that is aesthetic, um, you know, where aesthetics definitely drove the, the design there. Um, but functional. But functional. So would you consider that, uh, would you consider that great architecture? Yes. Yeah, I, mean, I would too. I, it, I mean, you, you, you cannot be left but in awe when you walk into that church. Yeah. So, would you consider um, would you consider your local Costco great architecture? Of course. Yeah, um, but very well, different, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, no, I would too. But in both cases. Yeah. So, so I think the reason I'm going there is just um, what are some of the key ways do you think AI will revolutionize this concept? Right. Like, do you think we'll have? I mean, La Sagrada Familia is unique, right? I don't. I don't think there's a church like it in the world. But no, no. that's um, why. That's why we all recognize it with the name. Correct. And so do you think um, do you think we'll have more of them with with AI? Do you think there's going to be like some copies of it? Like what what are some of the key aspects or key ways AI will revolutionize with uh, like just architecture? Yeah, let's get into the, the AI part of it, because it, it right now, from what I can tell, is being leveraged on uh, the beginning and end end of the spectrum. So what I mean by that is on the design phase, it can come up with really cool images and visuals and you can put in a prompt that says i want a building that symbolically references you know four or five different abstract things and it could you know provide a form and a, a look and feel for what 
that is or could be you know manifested in, in a building structure so that's great but then it doesn't then pump out construction documents that tells a contractor how to build it um, on the other side um, if you have a space or have a floor plan and you want to know how many rooms you can get or how many apartments you can get in a building you know what the the most efficient layout is uh, for certain business elements so you know you need to turn this NOI or have this many square feet or you want to house this many people, it can lay out those schematics for you really quickly and easily. But it's the blend of those two things, defining the hard line schematic of what could work with the cool image that you find on there and making those two things come together. I don't think we're at that point. And so there's that angle of it, but then there's also, well, how does this affect the workforce of architecture as well? Some are saying that it's uh, people coming out of school have less opportunity now because it's taking away some of the entry-level things, just laying out plans, different floor plans, iterating on layouts, things like that. And it really requires even more critical thinking and a more of a, a seasoned architect's eye to, to advance it. But I, I think ultimately school will adjust and shape and, and evolve to match that. So, But it is affecting that side of the workforce as well, which is interesting. So so on, on that on that front, one of, the, one of the questions I had, right? So if I heard you correctly, AI today is not going to replace the, the actual craft of being an architect. But one of the things that I know from, from my friends in, in that field are it takes years of practice to actually become a master architect, right? If AI does replace some of those more menial tasks, what happens to that growth curve? How do architects actually grow into this field? That's a good question, Alex. And But I mean, that is... You're right about architecture. It is an industry that is very ba heavily based on seniority. So even today and for the longest time, um, it's almost the number of years equates to your skill and your uh, perceived credentials um, and ability. Um, you, there's not a lot of folks coming right out of school who then just immediately go on to start their own firms and become wildly successful right away. It's a lot of, you know, older folks who have been in the, the profession for years and years and years because they've seen different scenarios, they've seen different layouts, they've seen different um, uh, guidelines and, and constraints and clients and all those things. And, you know, and that's at the end of the day, there's there's always going to be something for the entry level employee because you're going to get to a point as a seasoned practitioner in whatever you do, whether it's AI, tech, medicine, whatever, where you want to focus on one particular thing, one higher level thing, one strategic thing. And there are other little things around that you just need people to you know, kind of do for you or help with. And that's how people learn and grow in any industry. They kind of just come in and start doing things. They start helping out wherever they can. It doesn't mean that it's this grandiose... Um, uh, apprentice style teaching learning process sometimes learning at the basic level is is very rudimentary it's very raw it's just doing stuff and being in the mix and I think that's going to continue what it's going to be like there's going to be AI things that just need to get done managing that AI managing the tools managing the platforms creating prompts, providing prompts, um, you know, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, Alex. no, no. So, so coming back to that, if, if I, if just hypothetical here, which just purely hypothetical, That's, but, I mean, yeah. um, I ran a company that was building a tool for architects, right. Which, which enabled them to use AI to do their job better. What would I include in it? Right. Let, let's, let's bring it back to Richmond, right. There's an entrepreneur sitting in 1717 and they are thinking about how to help the, the building and or architect kind of space. What are the most important things that 
this AI should be doing for them. Yeah. So the the first element isn't for me isn't the aesthetics because yeah AI can produce some cool wild looking aesthetics. But honestly, we've always done that as architects. We go to the library, we pick out books, we look at other things, we look at drawings and images and whatever. So it's just another tool for that. But what's really useful in architecture and what I think I think there's already a, this is already happening to a degree, but. At the early stages of a design, you end up creating a lot of different iterations, um, not just for yourself or not just for the client, but also for yourself. That what you actually show the client may be only five iterations. You may have gone through 75 of your own, different layouts, different forms, different um, orientations. And being able to have an AI tool um, create a bunch of layouts for you initially that you can kind of then negatively edit or tweak and you start to work with the AI where the AI becomes your pencil, so to speak, um, it is really where architecture gets interesting, where you become, you're, mold, you're working with the AI to mold the, the right layout. It's showing you iteration after iteration after iteration and you're not drafting that up yourself. Your people aren't drafting that up. It's just happening on the screen. Um, but then you apply your critical thinking as an architect, and that's more fun. I mean, a lot of what we're taught in architecture school, like I said, is critical thinking. It's looking at things and saying, how could this be better? What works? What doesn't work? What's the problem that needs to be solved and how to solve it? And so if AI can show me 75 different solutions and I can then go in, you know, pick 10 that I love and then ask them to iterate on that and then pick three more or tweak it on my own, or add my own flair then, that's really interesting to me because it allows me to be critical and creative rather than just manual, practical, and labor, if that makes sense. That's really interesting. I, I think one of the things, as, as you were talking, one of the things that um, I, I remembered is, if, if I'm not mistaken, Neuralink, uh, Elon Musk, one of Elon Musk's companies, just successfully implanted a brain chip in a human head this week. So I'm wondering if, if that's an evolution. To, yeah, yes, yes. Uh, success is early and Elon's known to tout success before it actually happens. Um, but, but, I mean, that's, that's, that's cool stuff, right? Imagine being able to think about designs and then the AI processes it and you actually just kind of correct and visualize as opposed to actually do the work. Yeah, I just, I, uh, now I'm worried about the way that my brain works and all the different, you know, random Things. Things that are going to pop up, the electrical nodes that are going to fire, and it's like you're going to get a design that is half architecture, half, you know, what coffee do I want? It, what what am I doing this afternoon? Uh, what kid issue am I working through? So, like, how does that all affect what what the output is? So that that's interesting. I'm sure it'll get figured out. Elon seems like a smart guy. So this, this is um, 21 years ago. I worked for a company that, um, it was a startup company based out of Fort Lauderdale, and we dismantled an Xbox at the time. So um, the, the Microsoft Xbox was actually one of the fastest processors that existed for, for consumers. And as a startup, we, dis we dismantled this Xbox, and we basically used the components of an Xbox to do remote operating for non-invasive procedures. And the whole concept was to essentially allow, this is 21 years ago, um, allow doctors to remotely operate on patients. And the, the value was a computer is more precise than a human and cuts and, and surgeries are, are easier to do. The company actually was relatively successful and some of the technology was actually sold off. This is long after I was gone. But one of the other things that they did was essentially try to connect hands for, for people that had lost limbs to essentially like brainwaves. Um, speaking of um, these, these basically like nodes firing incorrectly, 
Um, even though the person wanted to do specific things with their hands when they tried to control them, there was like subliminal like kind of conscious that took mm, over their yep. hands and they couldn't they couldn't stop it. Again, yeah. 21 years ago, we've we've progressed infinitely since then. But yeah, I mean, that's um, yeah, I don't know why my brain goes to uh, a Black Mirror episode, the entire history of you, which are the uh, recording retinas that record everything that happens in your life and allows you to play it back later so facebook yeah yeah i said it's facebook in your eye um but yeah i mean to, to get to the the heart of the matter um yeah like it, i mean we left the pencil uh, a long time ago so the actual hand technique uh, it, it it's almost non-existent other than quickly sketching out a concept or an idea um and so you know if we're now moving from you know a mouse on a computer to actually just looking potentially and using, you know, retina detection to actually maybe just, you know, neural recordings or, or tracking, whatever you want to say. Um, I mean, those are just ways to input the information, you know, differently um, it's in, in a sci-fi way, some would argue at this point to, to think of that. But um, but at the same at the time, it, the goal is the same. You're just trying to get your critical thoughts into a piece of art. And architecture is a little unique in the sense that there's there's also a science and a math to it. So so let's bring it back to Richmond, right? Um, yeah. VCU, do they have an architect school? They do not. So um, there's only three architecture schools in Virginia, uh, University of Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Hampton uh, University. So what do they need to do to get ahead of this curve? I mean, obviously, like, they, they have experts yeah. doing this but but i mean as 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 a player in this space what would you like to see come out of those schools to to help the future architects from, yeah, from mean, an AI perspective um, this conversation has it, it has been around since the, the dawn of computers and architecture in terms of um should people be hand drawing should people be computer drawing um should uh, students be educated on the basics and the foundational art of it or should they be educated on the practical realities of what they're going to see when they hit an office upon graduation. And that that push-pull and that tension has been around, again, ever since computers existed. There, At the time, there were schools that entirely advocated that their differentiating factor was we focus on hand drawing and other schools that focused on the uh, the animation or the the computer element of it. And so I think the, the answer is, um, you know, moderation is... is is best a, a little bit of both. So I, I hope that all these AI tools, whether it's the actual schematic, you know, development drawings that can come out of it, or the conceptual stuff, is taught in classes, is encouraged that you know professors encourage it to be used. But that there's a mix, um, and that you know sometimes you know there's a there's an element for hand drawing and a time for it and a time and place. And then okay, when do we responsibly move from that? stage of the design to using one of these AI tools? Um, and then how do we go back and forth? And and how do they become, um, can we teach students how to use them uh, realistically and practically to be aspirational in their architecture, but also to meet a client's demands? Because at the end of the day, uh, that's what, you know, most architects are trying to do is, uh, you know, take a client's program and, and make it make it a reality. And so we got to use all the tools available to us, both our hands, our own eyes, our own brains, and and the AI that can support it. I want to like move into uh, tech by design and tech's most creative city. But before we do, final thoughts on on the field, the role. I mean, there's concern that 
is AI going to replace architects? Is the architecture industry doomed? You know, there's a lot of fear around AI, the same that other industries have. And again, to me, it's a, it's the next iteration of technology. I think it's going to make the practice of architecture even more interesting. We're going to get through iterations faster. We're going to see different concepts easier. We're going to visualize the abstract more clearly. We're going to be able to communicate to our contractors and subcontractors more specifically. And we're going to be more efficient in how we do it. So we're going to spend less less hours producing these things. And so maybe with less hours of production, we get better thought and more creative thought because we're not pumping out drawings and we're not drafting. We're spending time thinking about design. And so hopefully we get better design buildings. So speaking of design with the last few minutes that we have, I want to bring artists onto this podcast and talk about creativity, right? Tech's most creative city. Um, I want to bring entrepreneurs onto this podcast. I want to pe bring people in the tech slash creative space, start talking about how we design with AI in mind. You know, one of my favorite episodes we did, Alex, is when we talked to the other Alex mm -hmm. over at the VMFA. And um, one of the things he, I remember him saying was that, you know, he's been studying art for, you know, decades and decades, but that, you know, he could spend decades and decades more and still not even touch 5% of all the art that, you know, the world has to offer. Um, and I think that's fascinating. So what I've done is I've actually started to dive into art a little bit and art history and try to understand a little bit more, doing some reading. And so, yeah, as, as we kind of progress in this podcast, I'd love for us to maybe make art a piece of it as well and for us to talk about art as it relates to tech, because I think there is a there is an overlap there. And especially as we're thinking about tech's most creative city, hopefully the things that we're building, not just out at museums and around town, but also in our, our offices for clients and for corporations, that those are creative too. And, um, and hopefully we make a we're not just a creative city. We're a creative city that makes a more creative world. Well, yeah, let's let's take a detour, right? So if you think about Michelangelo, one of one of and Leonardo da Vinci, right? Two of the greatest artists that ever lived. They both took detours into studying the body and the body composition. And they knew the ins and outs of bodies before they started drawing them, building them and, and sculpting them. Yeah. So let's take a detour into art. Yeah. That, and I love that because not only it's not just art for the sake of art art is inspired by a variety of other things and looking at the world around you. It's not just, okay, I'm an artist. I've studied art for 15 years. I know color and texture and light and patterns. It's no, I've studied other things and now bring that to the table that I, you know, can, uh, can add life to in some way or, or design to in some way. So let's, let's answer the following question. If you want to go on this ride, right? Like let's, let's put the food truck aside for now. I'm, I'm willing to put the food truck aside for now, but, um, let's, 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 interview people and figure out what good creative is in Richmond. You know, I love that thought. I have some people in mind. I know you do too. Let's get those creatives on and let's hear what makes Richmond Tech's most creative city. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs>